5, verse number 3. We're going to begin this morning, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. The Bible says that the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey. Her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as poison and dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She cares nothing about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't even realize it. So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her. Do not go near the door of her house. If you do, you will lose your honor. You will lose the merciless people all you have achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. And you will say how I hated discipline. Oh, if only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why did I not pay attention to my instructors? I have come to the brink of utter ruin and now I must face public disgrace. Drink water from your own well and share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets, having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. This morning I'm using for my subject, Before You Have an Affair. Before You Have an Affair. Father... Lord, I understand that this is a little different today, much different than what we are normally used to receiving and hearing and ministering. Lord, I also know in my heart and I know in my spirit, Lord, that this is a word for such a time as this. And God, I pray that you'll give us ears to hear. Let us all hear today. Be with us in this time, we ask, for the glory of God. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be reseated this morning. Well, as I've already mentioned, today's lesson is a little bit unusual. And if you are a newcomer to New Bethel, if this is your first day of especially, this is very different than normal and uh, it's kind of out of the box today. So don't judge us by just today. I know how people think and, and I'm sure there are those that are here this morning and you might be thinking, Pastor, do we really need to be talking about this? I can imagine people thinking, Pastor, you are preaching to the choir. Exactly. Exactly. And friend, the members in the choir have the very same struggles and the very same temptations that everybody else does. I believe that the time to talk about issues like this is before it happens. I believe we should practice Preventive medicine, not just picking up the pieces of people's lives after they have shattered, but trying to help keep their lives together. In Proverbs chapter 5, the wisdom writer gives us some things to think about, some things to consider before we decide to have an affair, before we commit adultery, before we totally destroy our lives. As I read through this and study this this morning, there are five things that I see in these verses. And I want to call your attention to these five things this morning. 
And the first thing that I see here is I, I see the allurement. The allurement. That's found in verses 3 through 6. The lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps lead straight to the grave. The wisdom writer said that the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey. Her mouth is smoother than oil. The allurement. Man always wants what he doesn't or can't or is not supposed to have. Just read the Bible and you'll find it over and over and over. Adam and Eve had literally hundreds, maybe thousands of trees to eat from. There was only one tree in the entire garden that was off limits to them. But which tree did they desire? King Ahab was wealthy. He was the king. He, he had more than he could possibly ever need. Uh, but there was one thing that he did not have. And that was a tiny little vineyard owned by Naboth. And Ahab literally became obsessed with what belonged to somebody else. David was the king. He too had anything and everything he could ever need or want or desire. Bathsheba was Uriah's wife. She was unavailable to David. David had his wife. But who did David want so bad that he was willing to kill for? What is it about man that he is always wanting what he doesn't or can't or is not supposed to have? Proverbs 27 and 20 says that human desire is never satisfied. No matter how much stuff you have, you will always want more and better stuff. No matter what position that you hold, you will always have a desire to reach that next rung on that ladder. And Satan, our enemy, is well aware of this. And so just like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden, so he does with us. He dangles the carrot in front of our eyes. He talks to us and justifies whatever it is that he is tempting us with at the moment. If it's an affair, he'll say things like... Wow, look how beautiful she is. Wow, look at her figure. He'll say, your wife doesn't seem very interested in you anymore. Your marriage is kind of dull and kind of boring. He'll say, look at him. Oh, he will say to the woman, he, he understands you. He understands. Oh, oh, he he. He gets you. He will listen to you. He will, he will treat you special. The allurement. And then I see the admonishment. And that's found in verse 7 and 8. Verse 7, listen to me, the wisdom writer says. Listen to me. I can, I can imagine him lifting his voice, saying with intensity, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Because what I'm about to say, he says, could literally save your life. 
Verse 8, stay away from her. How many understand we could put him in there as well? Don't go near the door of their house. Didn't just say stay away from her. Stay far. Stay far away from her. Don't go near. Don't even get close. Let me admonish you here this morning. Oh, oh, if there's something going on or something possibly could going, be going on, transfer out of the office. Transfer out of the department. Find another job if you have to. Remove yourself far from the temptation. Because you see, most affairs begin very innocently. Two people are thrown together. The situation at first was not of your own making. You were just thrown together. Such was the case with Joseph who was brought into Potiphar's house. But if you'll read the story, the moment that Potiphar's wife makes a play for Joseph, he, he runs. Oh, hear me this morning. Hear me, please. Hear me, please. If you are married and you find yourself attracted to somebody other than your wife, even if it is just a casual thought that says, I think they're cute. I think they're attractive. Uh, I sure like their personality. Uh, I wish my mate was more like them. If it's even as casual as that, and especially if the thought has become in, come into your mind more than once. Run! Do not allow yourself to be with this person without your spouse being there. Do not allow yourself to be paired up with him for any reason. Recognize the danger. Don't give any opportunity for something to develop. The third thing that I find in this passage is I find the adversity, and it's found in verses 9 through 11. The adversity. Verse 9. If you do, you will lose your honor and will lose to merciless people all that you have achieved. And strangers will consume your wealth and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. Let me tell you this morning that adultery brings with it much adversity. It might begin with temporary pleasure, but it will always lead to lasting consequences. There are three consequences of adultery. There are many more, but there are three right here in these three little verses mentioned by the wisdom writer in verses 9 through 11. And the first consequence of adultery is the loss of honor. If you, if you succumb to adultery, if you have that affair, you're going to lose your honor. Verse 9, if you do this, you will lose your honor. Proverbs 6 and verse 32 and 33, the writer says there, he who, he who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. He will be wounded, he will be disgraced, and his shame will never be erased. 
Notice these three words, wounded, disgraced, shame. That don't sound very enticing to me. Friend, before you have an affair, think about how you are eventually going to feel when you are caught. And by the way, you will get caught. Just think how how you're going to feel when your spouse finds out what you've been up to. How will you feel when your kids who have you on a pedestal, your kids who, whether they verbalize it or not, have you as their number one hero. You who they think can do no wrong. You who they look to for trust and security. How are you going to feel when your kids discover that you have been unfaithful to their mother or to their father? I cannot speak for all fathers. But I'm not a hero to too many people. Not a hero to too many people. I'm not in who's who. Although I've been invited. But I don't want to pay the money, so I'm not in it. You won't find my name in the list of who's who, although I could have my name there been invited. I haven't built the biggest church in the assemblies of God. I haven't made the most money. I haven't written the best-selling book. I'm not the best golfer that ever teed up. I'm not the best preacher that ever took a text. I'm not the best looking, well, maybe, maybe that. I'm teasing. People aren't beating my, a path to my door to, uh, to interview and ask me why. Why I am the most successful person alive. What is it? What is it about you, Pastor Benson, that makes you the most successful person that ever lived? That's not happening to me. But I can say this. I can say this. My kids still love me. My kids still come to see me. Especially as mom, if mom is cooking. <laughs> my kids still seek my advice. Amen. Both of my kids have called me their hero. I, I, I have it in writing. And it's locked up. They'll never get it back. They wrote it down and I've got proof. And after 39 years of marriage, and after seeing me on my best day and on my worst, when I have been up and when I have been down, my wife still honors and respects me. Still sits on the front row and still takes notes while I preach. We were elected to a church one time because my wife sat on the front row and took notes because their last pastor's wife wouldn't even come in while her husband was preaching. And my wife's on the front row taking notes. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to throw all of this away on a few moments of pleasure. My honor, my character, my reputation is of, of much more value to me than the initial and temporary pleasure of an affair. Proverbs 22 and 1 says, choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better 
than silver or gold. Another consequence of having an affair or committing adultery is is the loss of happiness. Loss of happiness. Verse 10, strangers will consume your wealth. Someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. (laughs) Having an affair and somebody else is going to end up with your stuff. You, you, you could die for that new car. It ain't yours no more. She's taking it, you know. In, in the divorce, she gets it. Let me tell you something. The very thing that you thought would bring you happiness will be the source of much unhappiness. And let me tell you something. You, you, you might think that you are unhappy now. And so that's why I'm having this affair. That's why I'm stepping out. That's why I'm doing this. Because I am so unhappy. I don't mean to be unkind this morning or unsympathetic. But the truth of the matter is you, you, you might think you're unhappy now. But just wait. Just wait. Have the affair. Because you're unhappy. Just wait. Until... All that was secure is now insecure. Just wait until the one that, oh, that you just thought you couldn't live without, the one that you, that, that, that you break up your home for in order to be with, to live happily ever after. Just wait until they tell you they've changed their mind. They're going back home. They're reconciling with their mate. Now, not only do you not have your family, but you don't have a future family either. You're struggling financially now? Try adding alimony and child support to your already overloaded budget. Having trouble with your kids now? It's the best it's ever going to be. If you do this thing, just try dealing with them after, after they discover that you have cheated on their mother or their father. Oh, add a stepmother or stepfather and their kids to the equation and just see how you get along. We're talking about the adversity this morning. There are consequences for adultery. Loss of honor, loss of happiness. Hey, according to the wisdom writer, even loss of health. Verse 11, in the end you're going to groan with anxiety when disease consumes your body. You see, the adversity that accompanies adultery can literally, can literally make you sick. Make you sick physically, make you sick mentally, make you sick emotionally, and make you sick spiritually. Just think, just think back of the of the giants in the faith that fell through the act of adultery in the past several years. Oh, one moment they are on top of the world, and the next moment the world is on top of them. And even those who have been forgiven and those that have been restored, and yet they are today but a shadow of what they one time were. Look into their eyes. Look into their faces. Their sin drained the joy from their life. 
Their sin added decades to their faces. You see, sin will always take its toll, always produce lasting negative effects, and some never recover. Today I'm talking about before you have an affair. The fourth thing that I I see in this passage is, is the anguish, and it's found in verse 12 through 14. The anguish. You're going to say, how I hated discipline. Oh, but if only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why? Why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I have come to the brink of utter ruin and now I must face public disgrace. May I suggest that your anguish will come in two ways. First of all, the realization. The realization, uh, oh, the realization is, oh, I was warned, but I didn't listen. You see, if you go out of here this morning and if you have an affair somewhere in your future, I promise you, I promise you the day is going to come when you're going to realize and you're going to anguish over the fact that on November the 13th, 2011, at New Bethel Church, you were warned. The Holy Spirit tried to warn you. But you ignored the warning. For some of you today, maybe it's only one. I don't know who it is. It's in the second service, right? You can't be in this service. For somebody maybe here this morning, the warning is not, you know, stop, stop it, but just don't let it get started. You see the signs. There's a red flag. It's come in your mind before. Now pastor is preaching about this on Sunday morning. Good night. If you can't hear from God today. The anguish comes in two ways. Number one, the realization. Number two, the regret. Friend, if you have an affair, the time is going to come when regret is going to be your constant companion. You see, the people that have talked to me after their affair, here's what they've told me. They tell me what I had was better. And what I got. They tell me I gave up more than I received. They tell me if I could push rewind and then delete, I would. They tell me I would give anything. I would give everything I had to undo. Oh, if only I could undo what I did. And they tell me if I had it to do all over again, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't have the affair. That's what they say. Well, the last thing that I see in this passage, 
is the advice. And it's found in verse 15 through 18. And here's the advice of the wisdom writer. He says, drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife or your husband, whichever it might be. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it sex for yourselves. Never share it. Never share it with strangers. And let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. And rejoice in the wife of your youth. The first piece of advice that the wisdom writer gives here is the the advice of commitment. The advice of commitment to to, to be committed. Drink water out of your own well, he says. Share your love only with your wife. Commitment. Remember the vows that you made on your wedding day? For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. Forsaking all others, keeping yourself only unto them. So long as you both shall live, so help me God. Remember those vows? For richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. Keeping yourself only unto them as long as you both shall live. Commitment. Commitment. I I know a little bit about commitment. I, I haven't been married three years, five years, seven years, 12 years, 20 years. I know you'd be amazed, but I've been married 39 years. 30, 39 years to the same woman. 39 years. We know a little bit about commitment. And I want to tell you that my wife, 39 years my wife has stood beside me through thick and thin. I've been thick more than I've been thin, but I'm thin now. Commitment. My wife and I have never even once used the D word in our marriage. I mean, know what the D word is. It's not a four-letter word, so get that out of your mind. The D word. Divorce. In 39 years, we've never one time used the D word in our marriage. We have, though, used the M word. Murder. Let me help you a little bit this morning. If you constantly throw around the D word in your marriage, stop it. Well, I'll just divorce you. I'll just stop. Throw out the D word. It shouldn't even be a part of your vocabulary. And start using the C word. Commitment. Let me tell you that there's only one word that should get you out of your marriage. And that's the other D word. Death. (laughs) 
I can just hear someone thinking, well, I can make that happen. I mean, let me just a sidebar. Actually, adultery and abandonment gives you biblical grounds for divorce. That's not what we're talking about this morning. And I, 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 I could even make a, a pretty good argument for abuse. But that's another lesson. The first piece of advice given here is commitment. The, 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 the second piece of advice is, is cultivation. Cultivation, verse number 18, let your spouse be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the spouse of your youth. Let me tell you something, friend. If if we would work on our marriage relationship like we worked on our dating relationship, we'd have a much better marriage. Let me give you some advice, just some practical advice for your marriage today. Number one, this morning, never stop working on your marriage. Never stop working on your marriage. I don't care how long that you have been married. The time will never come when you no longer need to work on your marriage. No, until you are dead, you're going to need to work on your marriage. Now sometimes your marriage needs more work than at other times. Sometimes your marriage needs a little work and sometimes it needs a lot of work. Marriage is a lot like your car. Sometimes your car needs a minor tune-up. It just needs plugs and, you know, servicing, a fuel filter. Sometimes your car, all it needs, not running real smoothly. It's, it's nothing majorly, but you need a tune-up. And then sometimes your car needs a major overhaul. Sometimes our, our marriage, it just needs a minor tune-up. It just needs a, a weekend alone together. and Maybe a marriage seminar. Maybe even some marriage counseling. or what, But just a minor tune-up. Sometimes it needs a major overhaul. Please hear this. Unlike your car, your marriage never needs to be traded in for a newer model. I just want to get clear with that analogy this morning. Second thing, second little practical advice I'm giving you on marriage this morning. Never stop improving yourself for the sake of your mates. Never stop improving yourself, not for yourself alone, but for your mate. And this includes physical improvement. You know, unless you're like Fonzie, you know, and you look in the mirror to try and improve. You know, It includes physical improvement. Can I do that in a second, sir? Do they know who Fonzie is, Steve? You do? Well, you're old. They don't know Fonzie. They haven't lived, have they? Amen. Never stop improving yourself for the sake of your mate. It includes physical improvement, mental improvement, emotional improvement, spiritual Physical improvement. Pastor, pastor, I, 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 I'm 50 or 60 or 70 or, or, or. Pastor, I, I can't look like I did when I was 20 or 30. No. But you can look good for your age. 
Amen. Oh, pastors, shouldn't we eventually outgrow the need for physical attraction? Let me give you a hint. Men don't. We don't. Men are visual. Now, the good news for you ladies is the older they get, the less they able they are to see. And they don't expect you to look, if, you know, if you're 60, they don't expect you to look like you're 20. And remember, they want you to look the best that you can look for them at 60. Which is very young these days. Man, this crowd should have said amen to that one. It's important for men that their wives look as good as they possibly can for them. And let me tell you something, fellas. Ladies may not be visual, but listen, women aren't very happy or very excited about a sloppy-looking husband either. Or one that's 50 and looks 80. Hey, let me tell you something. If the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, there's two possibilities. The first possibility is you didn't water your own lawn. <laughs> Twenty years ago, we bought a, a, new, a home in, in, in Midland, and the home that we bought just happened to have the, the premier, unbelievable, best lawn in the neighborhood. And my sweet little daughter, who's just like her daddy, when we moved in, she looked around at the lawn and she said, How long is it going to look like this, Dad? <laughs> Not long. It quickly faded from the premier lawn. To above average. It's pretty nice. When we moved, it was nice. It wasn't pristine like it was when we bought it. If the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, it might just be because, because you didn't take the time to water the lawn at home. Because you see, if you water your lawn at home in the physical, if you work as hard on your lawn as your neighbor works on their lawn. Your lawn can look like your neighbor's lawn. And you can go anywhere you want to with that this morning. I hope you do. I hope you do. If the grass on the other side of the fence is greener than yours, it might be because you didn't water your own lawn. It might be the grass on the other side of the fence is growing over a sewer. I mean, no, if it's growing over a sewer, it's, you're not going to have to do much. Every, all the elements are there. It's going to be greener than anybody else's. But if you only knew what was beneath the surface, you wouldn't be nearly as impressed. And you might see something or someone that appears on the outside, to be more attractive in every area. 
That's surface stuff. We can cover up a lot of stuff. We don't know what's underneath the surface. And if we knew what was underneath the surface, no matter how beautiful the outward, oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Never stop improving yourself for the sake of your spouse. Always be trying to improve every area of your life. Make your spouse proud to say, she is my wife and I want you to know it. Or he is my husband. Let me just go on record and tell you I'm, I'm proud of my wife. I think she's hot. And you can ask her, I'm not just saying one thing on stage and something else at home. Ah! She said, I said she looked good for her age. <laughs> and you knew I was teasing when I said that. I'm proud of my wife. I, I, I think she's incredible. She's smart. She had one day of stupid, you know, when she married me, but she's smart. She's genuine. She's unbelievably unselfish and giving. I preach it, she practices it. And then I have to go along because I've preached it. <laughs> She's a wonderful wife, an incredible mother, unbelievable grandma. Hallelujah. If I go broke, it'll be because of those granddaughters. <laughs> she is Wonder Woman as First Lady of New Bethel. She loves me, she supports me, she cheers me on, even gives me a kick in the pants every once in a while when I need it. She has certainly improved herself in the past 39 years of our marriage, and I get the benefit of it. I'm secure. You don't care if I'm here, but you don't want her to leave. She goes with me, so I'm secure. Third thing never stop dating. Never stop dating. Some of you stop dating the day of your wedding. Why? Why? Hey, let me help you fellas out a little bit here this morning. The good news about dating your wife is you don't have to settle for a good night kiss at the end of the date. Amen? Oh, pastor. Oh, get over it. Let me tell you something. I turned down an invitation for golf yesterday afternoon in order to go on a date with my wife. Two reasons. Number one, I wanted to. Number two, I knew I was preaching this this morning. (laughs) 
don't have the money to go on a date. Who said you got to spend a lot of money on a date? When I was dating my wife, I was a 17-year-old kid. I wasn't overly concerned about the place. I was excited about the person. Dating is just spending quality time with one another. Now it's great if you have some money to spend on them. And listen, if you've got some money and you're not spending on them, you're crazy. No wonder you got problems. Hey, it's great if you have some money to spend on them on your date. But if you don't, then just be creative. Be creative. A walk through the park holding hands. It don't cost anything, but I promise you she'll love it. A matinee at the dollar theater. Smuggling in your own popcorn. Or give up something else in your budget so you'll have money to spend on your date. If we could have the musicians and singers back this morning. My subject today is before you have an affair. Friend, if we would stop and, and analyze the consequences of an affair, oh, oh, if we would draw the line in the sand and say to ourselves, no matter what, I will not have an affair. I will not allow myself to go there. People have told me before, you know, that maybe have gotten pregnant before they got married. I fell to the passion in the heat of the moment in the backseat of the car. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You made the decision when you decided to get in the back seat of the car. That's when you made the decision. Not when, you know, when it got hot and heavy and you couldn't, whatever. It, no, it was when you made the decision to go there. That's when you, that's when you made it. See, see the, the opportunity could come along for any or all of us for this. But the decision is not going to be made when the, when the opportunity presents itself. Not for me anyway. I've already made the decision. I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm above or whatever, but, but I've, met, you know, I've made the decision, man. I mean, I've counted the cost. I don't, I don't want to go there. I know the consequences. Besides all that, you know, what, why? I won't. Why would I even go there? But, but you make the decision right now, today, right now. Right now. Right now. Perhaps, perhaps the reason why you would even entertain the thought of an affair is because of a lack of commitment and cultivation. You would only think about it because you're not totally committed to your marriage or, and as a result of not being totally committed to your marriage, you have stopped the process of cultivating your marriage. And let me end with this this morning. There is never, say never, there is never a justification for an affair. Hear that. Hear that. Hear that. Hear that. There's never a justification for an affair. But when a person lets themselves go, themselves go, they stop trying to improve themselves for their mate. When they start taking their mate for granted, when they stop meeting the needs of their spouse, 
And then somebody comes along that is attractive and attentive and available. Is it any wonder? I didn't say it was right. It's not right. It's wrong. It's 100% wrong. It's a wrong 100 times out of 100. But is it any wonder that it happens? And it will never, ever, ever turn out the way you thought it would. I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning. That's why I'm preaching this. Because I know that the choir members have the very same struggles and the very same temptations that everybody else. Let me say this and then I, I promise I'm done. If you've had an affair or if your spouse has been unfaithful to you, I'm going to say three things. Number one, God can forgive you. Adultery is not the unpardonable sin, although it's horrible. It's not the unpardonable sin. And you, if you have committed an affair, if you have committed adultery, you can get the forgiveness of God. God will forgive you. Number one, God can forgive you. Number two, if it's happened to you, if your spouse did it to you, God can help you forgive your spouse. You can't do it by yourself. You can't do it alone. But God can help you forgive your spouse. In fact, Jesus said, if we don't forgive others their trespasses, our Heavenly Father cannot forgive us of ours. And so I can't even, I can't even put my arms around, I can't even imagine or fathom how hard that it would have to be for me to forgive my wife for having an affair. I don't think I could ever do it on my own. But God can help me. God can help you forgive your spouse. And the third thing is, and this might be the biggest one of all, it just might be the biggest one of all, God help you forgive you. God can help you forgive yourself. If, if you've had an affair, if you've, if you've committed adultery, if you've wrecked, shipwrecked your, your life and the life of your spouse, the life of your kids, you've turned your family all upside down and you're just eating after one. God can help you forgive yourself. You'll never get there on your own. You'll never get there on your own. You'll never be able to do it on your own. But God will throw you under the bus. There's consequences and you'll have to pay them. But God can help you forgive yourself. Just stand with me this morning.